Welcome to Trick Talkers, a podcast about trick takers, shedders, climbers, and occasionally other card games. I'm Patrick, and I'm joined by Ryan. As per usual, but it's not quite as per usual, is it, Ryan? No, today is an exciting episode. Exciting episode because it is the celebration of our one year anniversary for Trick Talkers. Which means we are now officially, I guess we're officially one years old. We are, which is quite crazy. It is gone by so fast. I can't believe we're already at one year. Our first episode aired July 25th, 2022. That's scary. Yeah, hopefully I can get this episode edited in time and have it up by the 25th as well. So it's exactly one year to the day when this episode airs. That's scary stuff, but we, of course, appreciate all the support, and we, it goes without saying we wouldn't be here where we are today without our listeners. That would be a pretty sad and lonely podcast, actually, wouldn't it? Probably so. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like uh, we'd probably still be talking to each other, but I, I don't know. Yeah, it's obviously way more exciting and way more enjoyable when we have you guys listening and then giving us feedback on the episodes or creating discussion around the topics that we're talking about on here. It's been a lot of fun to be able to experience it. I know from the very beginning, it was a little bit of a rough start. I know Patrick and I didn't have any equipment Uh that was well handled for a podcast. Terrible mics and setups and so we we've uh, escalated beyond that. We've now uh, got our, our sweet setups, if you will. And as a one-year-old would do, we are we're crawling, right? One year, one-year-old kicking and screaming and yeah. crawling and all sorts of things. So, really, really appreciated. Thanks again. Also, some other news. Mister Ben, as he goes by, has started a website for UK folks to get their hands on trick takers and climbers, and of course, other games from abroad. The website is travel-games.co.uk. That's travel-games.co.uk. There's a nice range on there. And very kindly, Mr. Ben has also done a discount code for listeners, which is Trick Talkers in block capitals 5. So Trick Talkers 5 for 5% off and that of course is something and every little bit helps because when you're buying these games from Japan or UK even if you're in the UK now which is great uh, every little bit helps in terms of saving on costs so really appreciate it thank you Mr Ben and no doubt we'll talk about your website again in the future yeah it's lovely to see that you guys now have an option for some web store importing games i know i did a ryan rambles episode where i talked about three u.s importing websites but that was really like the only option so it's great to see that mr ben is taking over for the the uk europe area mr ben is taking over for the uk europe area yeah because we always talked about it we said oh if you're in america you can probably get these but uk folks sorry sort of out of options so Really nice to see it, but also very dangerous and dangerous on the wallet, I mean. So it's just says the person who is at what, 24, 25 games now, probably at your 12 game challenge, 26 or something like that. (laughs) We just keep going. I love it. Just keep going. I mean, last year was 138. So I've got a a bit of a while before I'm in that danger zone. But 
as much as I say it's dangerous on the wallet, it's also really appreciated just to have the option. So wonderful stuff. Of course. Well, so today's episode, as we already mentioned, is our one year anniversary. So we wanted to do a big list because lists are always a great thing to do. <laughs> Everybody likes a list. Of course. And we've already done a top 10 before of like our, our personal top 10 favorite games. So we thought we'd do something a little different, but is more than likely going to have some overlap on those games. And we wanted to do a top 15. We're going to add five more games onto it of essential games. So these are games. Essential. Yeah, we these are games that we think are ones that should be in your collection. If you're trying to keep a tight, lean collection, or maybe you've got room for your collection to grow and you're just trying to see what's the next thing I should add to it, these are the games that we would strongly recommend would be in that list. Now, I know for my list personally, and I'm sure Patrick can speak on his, there are some games in here that weren't on my top 10. And that's kind of the idea of the thing. There might be games that I personally don't think are a top 10 favorite for me, but I understand what it does for the genre and what it's doing for the trick-taking hobby and why I think it would be an essential game that you should look into trying and or buying. It's funny because on a couple of episodes ago, I gave uh, Scooty Fruity the essential trick uh, trick. Keep getting this mixed up, and it's hilarious. The Trick Talkers Award. But now the irony, of course, is we're giving 15 games each the essential award. I suppose if your ears are burning, go on, Ryan. No, no, I, I think that that's almost sort of what made us do this list. I know you sort of invented that uh, essential award essential for award. Uh, yeah. Schadenfreude like on that episode right there, which was great. But I, I think that makes sense for the rest of these games to earn that award all within one episode which seems again fitting for a one-year anniversary episode i think i suppose by default they also qualify for the ryan's interesting award or that's kind of a different award isn't it that's uh yeah it's probably going to be a different award that some of these games might get the interesting award as well but yeah it's, it's a different criteria than the always interesting award. though that's, that's yes essentially yeah, essentially but yeah, I'll, I'll stop now <laughs> So if your ears are burning and you find that you've had some of these games which we talk about and you've moved them on because they're not for you, that is completely fine. Don't feel you need to go out and grab the games again. This is just from our perspective. And I suppose, Ryan, could we say it's fair if we were looking at our former selves just entering the trick-taking hobby or had some interest in trick-taking and climbing, of course, these are the games that we would seek out to as a as a great foundation block or something great to have in the in the collection certainly i i think that all of the games that are at least on my list here are ones that if somebody was introducing me to the hobby i'd be very happy if these were the ones that they had recommended to me if i was discovering trick taking in the modern era of what they can do i could see all of these really getting me into trick taking and these are the ones that I usually introduce to people and get them into it and get excited about it. So that's why I feel like these are the games that apply well to that list. Yeah, and that's without even talking about our Echo, right? <laughs> I still haven't played it yet, so I don't know how essential it is. It, I, I hope it's on your list, even though... I, did you include the other card games? Right. No, I stuck to trick... Just trick-taking, climbing, Trick-talkers again, yeah. trick-takers, climbing, shedding. So unfortunately... Okay. 
it, it would be the Joker of the pack, though, if I had to include it. Of course. Yeah. I've got one jokes. other card game on my list. But, Interesting. You know, and so before we get into the main list here, I did want to just mention PGCCon happened last weekend, Portland Game Collective's second annual convention in Portland, Oregon. I didn't want to spend a lot of time on this episode talking about it only because we are going to have another guest on an episode as more than likely the next episode, and it's going to be Candace Harris. How exciting. Yeah, very exciting. You might uh, be familiar with her work from BGG. She has the official BGG podcast as well as a bunch of articles that she posts on BGG itself. So we're really excited to have her on where she went to PGCCon as well. So we're going to get her side of the convention and her experience in games and a few of the games that I was able to play with her in person as well. So that'll be really exciting. One thing I did want to talk about, though, is Dual Boy. Oh, boy. I see you bursting with excitement about this one. Oh, yes. So, Ryan, Dual Boy, I've heard it. the name bounded around a bit, but... Can you shed some light on it? It sounds really, really intriguing. Yes. So Dual Boy is becoming a bit that was graciously brought by Jake and his wife, Adriana. And they bought, I think it was 60 packs of Dual Boy to bring to the convention. And Jake spent the time doing the paste-ups because this is a Japanese card game. And, of course. Uh, of course. Yeah. Why why, of course, why else? Yeah, yeah. Why, why anything else? Yeah. yeah. Completed all the paste ups, brought like this binder full of little cut up paste ups, was giving out packs and sleeves for then people to sleeve the card, throw the paste up in there, and then play the game. I like it. Yeah. So amazing work from Jake and Adriana. It was so awesome. And at first, Jake was just like, Hey, does anyone want to try Dual Boy? And uh, it took a little bit of time. Eventually, like he grabbed me and, and one other person taught us the game and then we started to play. And oh, my goodness, at that point, it just became like the weekend thing. We were holding our little packs, walking around, just saying, dual boy, dual boy, dual boy. You want a dual boy? boy? Yeah. And right. so to give you what the game is so people can potentially get excited as well. Sorry, I just have the image of somebody in like a dark corner of a pub whispering, oh, do you want to just come over here and play Jewel Boy? But it sounds like it's exploded in popularity and, and, and at least in your perspective. For sure, yeah. And, and it's definitely a good con game. It worked really well because the type of game that it is. So ultimately, Jewel Boy is a seven-card deck or hand, if you will. It comes in this little pack that you have nine cards. There's one for like the rule one for a little hand divider, and then the seven cards in the game itself. These are all randomly put together. So if you've ever played Keyforge, if you're familiar with that game, I did a ramble episode on it at one point, so you can listen to that to yeah, see how it plays. Ramble episode, yeah. But basically, it's just like randomly generated decks. This sort of does the same thing, where you there's, okay. I think, like 60 cards in total. Your deck's going to have seven random cards in it. And from there, you're dueling another player. They have a pack that they take, which has their seven cards in it. You shuffle up your cards, you put them in your hand, and you take that little divider card, put it on the leftmost side of your hand. Every card in the game has strength. There's physical and magical. There are two types of cards. There's units and tactics. 
And at the beginning of the game, one of the players, whoever's first, chooses if you're going to be playing for physical or magical. So let's just say I picked physical. Now the only stat we care about on all of our cards is the physical, which has like a little sword on it. So if I have a card in my hand that's got a two next to the sword and a zero next to the magical book, it's going to be a two strength when we're physical, but zero strength when we're magical. Right, so useless for magical, but you've you've got a bit of sword power. Exactly. Now the thing is, you can only ever play, or as the game calls it, summon, the three rightmost cards in your hand. So when it's your turn, you sh- again, you shuffle up the seven cards, you put yeah. all seven in your hand, and the three rightmost cards are the only ones you actually have access to. And Interesting. the really cool and the neat idea, the whole reason like why this game, it's designed for it being a micro game, is it's meant to be played while you're standing in line somewhere. So you technically don't need a table to play this game. When you play one of your cards, you just put it in your other hand. So you hold all seven in your left hand, and when you play a card, you hold it in your right hand, and you just show it to your opponent when it's played. Now, when we were playing, we used the table, but it's a great mm-hmm. you know, that you can do that. Yeah, I love that about the idea of not needing a table. It's great. Yeah, 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 it's great. Yeah, the whole idea of the game, though, is being the first to three points. And you do that by when it's your opponent's turn, if they can't play cards to equal or beat your strength. Now, I said there's two types of cards. There's black and white cards. When you play, you can only ever have one of each on the table or in your hand if you're standing in line. So as soon as you play a white card, if your three rightmost cards after you play that are still only white cards, you can't play another card. You'd have to have a black card to be able to play something. Now, your deck, when you first get it, only has five white cards and two black cards. So you do have to be careful about where they get in your hand if both of your black cards are all the way to the left you might not get to play it for a while because there are costs to certain cards some are free some have an additional cost sort of like marvel champions where when you play a card you have to spend resources to do it which are other cards yeah so you take that little divider card you put on the left side of your hand and you slide it over to the right to essentially discard cards from your hand the little divider card has a little basket and a hand on it which is a nice reminder for it Okay. And yeah, it's just, it's a very silly game. It plays super quick. It's like 10, 15 minutes. Every card has an ability. There are some that happen as soon as you play it. There are some that are passive. There are some when the unit or tactic is attacked and killed from uh, being on the table. And they just do all these crazy combos. And again, you're trying to make sure that you have equal or higher strength in your opponent. Because when it's their turn, if the cards they play don't have equal or higher strength, they're going to lose the round. This sounds like Pokemon and Top Trumps had a baby and then took some steroids. Pretty much, yeah. That's a, a good way to describe it. So, yeah, I, I don't know. It It's a very silly, stupid, amazing, brilliant game that just like, it, it's still on my mind now almost a week later from pgc con when it was first introduced to me it's now my profile picture on discord i personally bought 50 packs from masato the designer wow. himself because i'm trying to spread okay. this game to everybody local spread to it across the globe you're starting a global movement for your boy can you imagine yeah oh well, let's give credit where credit's due jake definitely started the whole process jake and adriana right. started that but as you probably know with me, if I fall in love with something, I go crazy over it. I hype oh, it up. Oh, yeah, you're a great enabler, Ryan. This is, this is what it's all about. Yeah, so I am definitely continuing that step on and trying to get even more people into Dual Boy. But I will say that 
there was a handful of us, uh, Srinivas, Ashwin, Zach, uh, Jake, myself. We were all crazy getting into Dual Boy over the weekend at PGC Con. It was to the point of where we had like the hello, my name is tags. We were writing <laughs> Dual Boy question mark. And then like... I knew it was coming. <laughs> yeah. I knew that was coming. No. That's, that's brilliant. Yeah. And it's funny, actually, the game itself comes with stickers. So in that pack, I said there were nine cards. There's technically nine cards in a sticker. Because the sticker is the Dual Boy logo. You're supposed to wear it. So when you're walking around, somebody sees you're wearing a Dual Boy sticker and knows that like you're available to Dual Boy. So again, because like it's designed for be weighing in line or if you're at a convention, like that's perfect moment for that. So I think the way we were introduced to this game was the perfect environment for it. If somebody just came to my house and was like, hey, here's this game. It's called Dual Boy. It's a two-player only game. You do this thing. I mean, I think I still would like it, but I don't know. It just mm. everything else that came with it, the moments that it created, the bit that it sort of created with all of these other people getting introduced to it at the same time. And we were all just shouting Dual Boy across the room was was just so fun. Yeah, it sounds like a, like an underground society, this Dual Boy. Oh, you see somebody with a sticker, drop your drink, let's go and play it. Yeah, that sounds quirky and edgy and I really like the concept of it, and you, you said divider, Ryan. I instantly thought of uh, La Yadasu with the divider card. I know it's not a trick taker, but I like the fact that you can divide your hand up. One thing mm. that wasn't clear is if you can't play cards, you, you said that, so you only had white cards, and you, you can't play because you don't have a, a black card available to play. What happens? Does the game, do you sort of say, okay, well, I'm out the round? or Yes. If you can't play cards to beat your opponent's strength, then you would be out for the round. You sometimes don't need to play both a black or a white card. You can just play one. You're never forced to play both, but you just have to play at least a card to beat your opponent, whatever their strength is. So it's possible your opponent has a black and a white card on the board, but maybe they're really weak cards, so they only add up to two you know, physical strength in total. Your single white card could have four strength on it. You play that, four beats two, you're already winning. And then both their cards get discarded to their turn again. Right, because I was reading a little bit about this game and I read about someone who got defeated by somebody's dragon card. Haven't seen the card. Don't know. It's a dragon. Oh, yeah, okay. the dragon. The dragon, the the uh, formidable dragon. And then I read in the article that this guy then received the dragon at the end of the game because I mm. guess from what I've read, there's some spice here where you give a, you give a card once you, once you play. Yes. So saving the best for last. Once okay. the match is over... Once one player gets to three points, the loser takes two cards from the winner's deck permanently okay. and puts them into their deck and then gives them two cards from their deck to the winner. Their choice? Their choice, yes. So the idea of the game, this is why it works really well as a convention or with a lot of people, is your deck is constantly changing. When you win a match, you're more than likely probably getting the crappier cards from your opponent going into your hand, and then your opponent's taking the better cards from your deck to make their deck better. So the idea is how long, how many, like, what is your win streak? How many wins can you get when your deck starts to get worse and worse? Theoretically, it might not actually, because there are some combos, like there are certain cards that can combo well with each other. So it's actually really cool when somebody gives you a card that might not work well for their deck, but actually works really well for your deck. 
but most of the time they're taking the cool things. So there's this dragon card that has a five strength for physical and magical. Wow. So it's just a powerful ass card. <laughs> it is. And, yeah, but yeah. the sounds of it. It's a dragon. Correct. So. And there's another one, the Sphinx, which is also a power five, but it costs zero. The dragon costs two, so it's an expensive card. But the Sphinx costs zero, but it makes your opponent immediately score one point. So it's a little scarier to play, but it is strong. Right. So you might be winning the round anyway. So usually you're playing it when you've got you know two points and you're one away from winning and your opponent only has zero or one point. Right. So let's say, okay, I'm taking your dragon card and I'm taking your Sphinx off you. Okay. I've lost to you, Ryan. I'm not happy. These are the cards I'm taking. Do I then decide the cards I'm giving you as well? Yes, you do. Now I will say... Wow. We were being a little more friendly, or at least I was. I don't know other people that weren't drilling me. Usually I would allow them to pick. Like we would discuss in both exchanges. Okay. It wasn't just the loser taking the cards and that was it. It usually was like, all right, let's both put all of our cards on the table and see what's sort of beneficiary for both. Now, right. the, except for the dragon. The dragon was always getting cast around. And otherwise it's a care bear thing. Of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There was still yeah, ruthless okay. on some decisions, but there were some sure. where it's like, yeah. no, this card, like, like I said, you only get two black cards and five white cards. So someone could be absolutely ruthless and just take both of your black cards and give you two white cards back. And now you have no black cards. Cheers, mate. As they say. Yeah. yeah. Which I mean, it means you're probably losing the next match. And then you're sure. going to take those two players black card or that player's two black cards. And then it just becomes this meta of someone's going to have a white deck only, which is funny because that's what happened. I, at one point I only had white cards in my deck for a couple of times. <laughs> so what do you do? You're, you're bowing out the round very quickly. I mean, not necessarily because some of the abilities on my cards I had were able to destroy their opponents or I had a couple of higher strength cards. Okay. Because okay. the, the dragon is a unit. That's a mm -hmm. white card. So if they're stealing my two black cards, I still have that better white card. Now, I, that doesn't mean it worked every time. I lost the second match on like hands down. It was zero to three. I struggled sure. to do anything. It, yeah, it just it creates a really fun meta. If So if you're into a micro game that plays really fast, that can create a meta like this, if you have a big enough group where you don't all always get together, then this could be a fun little filler thing you do in between. Like you and I could play a game. Mm -hmm. Let's say you win, I lose. We swap two cards. So, sounds like a... Like exactly a, how a, it would go, a, right? A, inevitable thing. Yeah. yeah. And then after we swap two cards, now you go and play somebody else, and then I go and play somebody else. And then after our game, we swap two cards. And then we come back and duel each other. Our decks are going to be significantly different from even just the last time we dueled. For sure. And then when we swap two cards again, we all go off and play somebody else, and then somebody else, and somebody else. So you're just comboing against all these other people to where eventually your deck is completely different from where it started. That sounds really quirky. So I guess a lot of people now will be going, wow, how do I get Dual Boy? Now, Ryan has obviously ordered 50 copies, kindly from the supplier, for the publisher, supplier, designer. Designer, designer himself. Okay, so it's not widely available yet. But hopefully, it's one to watch, isn't it, Ryan, for the near future for hopefully, hopefully. fingers crossed? Yeah, from what Wider it sounded like, those were the last 50 packs. But with all of the hype and conversation that <laughs> we've been doing from this convention, Masato was like, he even tweeted, I think it was it yesterday, was like, there's so much buzz around my game in the English-speaking countries and I think he is considering doing a reprint for it. I believe it's still be in Japanese, 
But I know when I was messaging him about getting the packs that there might have been a consideration to do English. I am actually going through and scanning the cards and, and doing English as well. Because like Jake, again, they, they did a fantastic job. I'm, I'm not going to take away from that. But it was just like little pieces of paper that were cut out to put on the card. So I'm trying to make like the official one, like what I did with Trick Takers, where it looks like it's yeah. on the actual card itself. To then maybe show that to Masato to show like this is what it would look like if there was an English version of it. So who knows? Maybe. I like it. And please tell me more in the future. If there's any developments on that, I'm sure people will be pleased to hear more. And of course, it is getting Trick Talkers coverage now. So there's another one for Masato, another string to his bow. Absolutely. And don't worry, you're definitely going to see the picture of the 50 packs when they arrive at all. We'll put it in the Trick Talkers Discord server. There's an incentive to get in the server as well then for a snip more sneak previews of Jewel Boy. Absolutely. Well, that's probably enough about Dual Boy. <laughs> Even though I could okay. keep talking about this I've game it. for so long. <laughs> it's so Dragons and Sphinxes. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Well, yeah, like I said, we we have an exciting episode left for you about our one year anniversary top fifteen list. So I think now is the any better time to start it, right? Give them the main course now, yeah. Why not? Yeah. Would you like to start or shall I? I am happy to start the list. So essential trick i was gonna say trick talkers again it's got it gets me every time it still gets me one year later ryan what's happened to me i went to say the name of the game at trick takers and i kept saying trick talkers the other day as well that's how i know it's really got to me but digressing and going back to the list is because what we all want to hear the game i call scooty fruity otherwise known as you can do it there's another one schadenfreuden is that correct? It's close. Very close. Schadenfreude. <laughs> I think I speak better. Schadenfreude? Okay. Schadenfreude. That game. Schadenfreude. Thanks very much. I knew I'd need some kind of divine intervention there. Oh. Schadenfreude, designed by CTR. That's not Crash Team Racing. That is <laughs> an acronym for the designer's name, but Crash Team Racing's good anyway. Um, I do want to butt in real quick, just to, to say, please do. the list that we're giving isn't in any particular order. It's not. Yeah, this isn't a 15 to 1. It's just these are 15 and that we think would be on the list. I feel like it's going to be so hard to really say in the order what they are. I think the idea is we're going to list all these games off and then sort of as we talk about them, you can decide where in that list you'd think they'd fall. Where you would rank them. And the good thing is, of course, with all of these, Ryan, they're not all out of print, hard to find Japanese card games. So don't worry because a lot of them are widely available at the moment, at the time of the recording. Yes, absolutely. If you're listening to this when it's our two-year anniversary, and it's well, quite possible these could be out of print, who knows. But yes, as of today, this recording, these are more widely available games. Some of them you might still have to import, but even if you're importing it, these are more readily available games. It's not like my favorite Carrera <laughs> is on there. Just, just can't, just can't get it. Yeah. So, anyways, continuing with uh, Scooty Fruity. Anyway, Scooty Fruity. Yeah, I thought I was going to have to say the name again, but you saved me. This is a game that is a delight in a very small box. Does fit sleeved. It's always nice. This game is all about not busting over 40 points but getting getting as close to 40 as you can over several rounds which believe me is harder to do than it sounds it is a must follow trick-taking game there are some wild cards in there negative values and the 
10 and a 0. It depends on your, your player count. But essentially, the spice is the second card, the second highest card of the lead suit will win the trick and take with it any cards that were played off suit. And the values on the cards will increase your total towards the magic number of 40. You'll only score at the end of every round because it is possible if you collect multiple cards with the same number to cancel or reduce your total, if you like, towards the end of the round score, which means it's possible to swing wildly between getting points and losing points. I'm sure you'll agree, Ryan, that the spiciest thing about this game, aside from having that 40-point limit, is it is both a trick avoidance game, which is avoiding taking tricks, and a trick-taking game at the same time, because there's a, a timing thing going on, isn't there? You want to win some tricks and not others, and you've got this all the time in the background, having this 40 limit being imposed on you over however many rounds it takes, not to go over that 40, but get close to it. And for me, that keeps the adrenaline going at the table and arguably replaces a lot of other games that I could potentially liken this one to. And throwing out there, for example, Stick'em, which is a fine game, but this one seems to do it better than a lot of them. Yeah, the twist of having the second highest card winning and then being quote-unquote second place to win the game after somebody goes yeah. over 40 points is already a neat twist. But yeah, if you like really mean games and you've been playing Sikkim a lot, I think this would be... It's mean. Yeah, I think Schadenfreude is definitely a, a better choice. That There's a little bit more meaty decisions to make. Agreed. But there still is a little bit of chaos in it, which works well to the meanness. Because I think... What's really cool with that is that like the meanness can't really be targeted. Sure, you can try to go for someone. Like if, if somebody's close to getting to 40 points, you're like you're trying to push that person over. But just the way the cards might fall, it's not always the case. So depending on in the trick where you are and who you think is gonna win it, you can start to strategically play out certain numbered cards to give another person more points. So there's an extra layer there of, like you said, it's the trick taking and trick avoiding, but also where you're placing your points when you have that opportunity to do so. Yeah, and player count, your mileage may vary because obviously free players, it's, you get a bit more targeting there by the nature of having less people with more players. It gets a little bit more chaotic in a sense, certainly at five players where you don't quite know where the points are going to go. But as long as you don't take them, when you need to or when you don't need to even you're sitting pretty absolutely yeah and i think this is a very fitting game to have as the first one we talk about since this was the game that got the essential award on the last the essential episode. award it's the one the game that started it all the legend itself and it's the one that as we were talking about it it was for the travel game edition and when we were listing off other people our listeners you guys the games that you'd bring with you this one was mentioned so many times so there is a reason why we also have this game because this game is also on my list of course of course this, yeah this one is something i think any of us could hard recommend that you know you'd look into getting it now of course this is one you would have to import travel-games.co.uk mr ben should have some copies 
I believe Tricky Imports has some copies. I mean, if you ask in the PGC or the Trick Talkers Discord server, I'm sure there's somebody who's got an extra copy hmm. doing an import order, whatever it might be. So definitely, if you have the chance to check this game out, highly recommend. And I believe that brings us to your next item on the list. If it wasn't Scooty Fruity, what would it be? The next one for mine is actually not really the game. It's just a standard deck of playing cards. As I mentioned in our I... travel edition episode, having a standard deck of playing cards is great. It allows you to proxy a lot of games. It allows you to have access to a lot of traditional games. There are so many good traditional games out there. But if I was to pick one to give a game, it would be 99. I think 99, 99. is a really good three-player uh, game by David Parlett. You can play other player counts, but really it's a three-player game. And it uses a standard deck of playing cards. And what you're trying to do is you're dealt a 12-card hand, and you pick three of those cards to make as your bid. The suits themselves will determine what your bid is. So diamonds are zero all the way up to clubs being three. The game itself ranks them based on like the amount of uh, bumps or humps on uh, each icon. The hearts like have two of the little bumps at the top of it, so it's a bid of two. And you pick three of those cards, and that's what you're trying to bid for the round. The thing is, though, this is hidden. So your opponents can't see it unless, and this is where the game's really good, unless you choose to reveal. You can reveal your bid to your opponents so they can know what you're going for and it's going to get you bonus points by doing so you can also choose to reveal your hand and your bid to get even more bonus points so the cocker you are the better you think you're going to hit your bid the more you can show and the thing is though if you fail to do it you're going to lose those bonus points and give them to your opponents instead you're trying to constantly look at okay what does my hand look like what is trump and how well do i think i can do should I reveal everything or just my bid? And everyone's doing this simultaneously. You're happening at the same time. There is an order, though, to it. If multiple people want to reveal their bid, it's based on you know closest to dealer. But essentially, one person's going to have information more than likely out every hand. And then it sort of becomes a 2v1 game, which is really cool. Because you want to make sure you get those bonus points. Let's say if the opponents, if, if Patrick and I are playing against... Uh, Joe Schmo and Joe Schmo reveals Patrick and I are working together to make sure that Joe doesn't hit their bid, but we also have to worry about our own bid. Still, we want to try and always hit our bid. So we're working together to stop Joe from hitting his public bid, but still working on our private bid. So it's not really two V one. It's still one V one V one, but a sort of shared alliance that constantly changes every hand. And it just, it works really well. Yeah, for me, the shared alliance bit makes it so interesting. And also, like you were saying, Ryan, the gamble about revealing your hand, revealing all of your cards, revealing your bid, I feel like it's one of those games where the more you fall behind, the more riskier you have to play to try and catch up. And therefore, with the with the showing of your hand, with the revealing your bid, it forces that and it makes it really really interesting because of course only one person can do that depending on the the player order this game is where it's at for me with a standard deck of cards it's probably my favorite standard deck of playing cards game i had prophecy fine it was okay it couldn't reach the dizzy heights of 99 as it's often compared to 
And specifically, the junk, the Joker version is the version of 99 that I play. And I think it's the same with you, Ryan, right? Without the Jokers. Correct. I actually have never played it with the Jokers because when I was taught, I was like, don't play with the Joker. And I haven't looked back since. It's a joke, right? That's that's a joke. Yeah. And there there are different ways to score. And I know, so the way you're talking about where once you fall behind, you pretty much have to start revealing everything Mm -hmm. because you Mm -hmm. just have to play catch up. That's if you just do the nine hands and just the total score you score every round. There is another way to play where it's as soon as you get to 100 points, you win a match, you're trying to win multiple matches. And that way can be a little bit better because as soon as you get to that 100 points, the scores reset for everybody. So the one person who's won the match, but now let's say you were 400 points behind in a normal game. Well, yeah, you're just, you're out. You're done. There's nothing you can do. You're done. You're playing to be laughed at. Yeah. Like you're not going to catch up. Whereas this way, it still allows you to catch up. Okay, you had zero points. They got to 100. Now everyone's back to zero. You're going again. That one, that of course, that way takes a little bit longer. So be prepared to be playing the game for a longer time. But I think if you like 99, you'd you'd probably be okay with that length. Yeah, I think so. And the problem with this game is, I, I guess, you don't want to reveal yourself in public. I have to get that joke in there it's now. a public nudity joke i get it it's a public nudity <laughs> yeah there we go is that the tumbleweed flew past the window as, as i was speaking about this it, is gonna but... be a long episode of games strap in folks we got lots more games and lots more puns coming there we go 15 games exposed right i'll stop yeah. all right what is next up on your list next on my list is cauldron 15 by Najian. Najian, believe that's how you pronounce it. Apologies if I've messed up completely with the Japanese pronunciation there. That is a game which, like Scooty Fruity, has a limit, and that limit is, in this case, 15. It's a game which I love. It's a game which replaced, for me, American Bookshop, which does a similar thing. But with Cauldron 15, the idea is you want to score as close to 15 as you can at the end of the game. I believe it's played over three rounds. If you There's a cauldron. If you imagine a witch's cauldron in the middle that you're trying to fill, there isn't really a cauldron, but I suppose that's the theme, right? In the new witches. version, that new special card, there, like the reminder card of the, what you hit, is a cauldron. It's a cauldron. So with Cauldron 15, if you underfill the cauldron, which means if nobody... You're all playing cards, they've all got values on them. If nobody exceeds 15, the value of 15 with the cards combined, then you look at the cards and you say the highest card wins. And there's also a trump suit, so you determine that at the start. If it's not the highest card, of course, like in all of these games, or most of these games, it's trump suit that, that would take the cards. And those cards will go towards your total value at the end of the game. You'll be collecting them. If the cauldron is filled perfectly by somebody who perfectly hits 15, they choose any card they like. And if somebody shoots over 15, or if he brings the cauldron over 15, they will take the highest card that is in the trick at that moment in time. So the trick can end prematurely before everybody's played a card. The the trick can also end after everybody's played a card as well what makes this game great is just having that 15 limit the 
excitement around it, the adrenaline around it. And of course, at the end of the game, if you collect a card of each color, you can then start getting rid of cards. You can get rid of a card of your choice. So there's a bit of a set collection thing going on. It doesn't mean that if you overshoot a little bit, you've definitely lost the game. Also, everybody can lose. If you see that you've overshot and you make everybody else overshoot the 15 limit, then everybody's lost. Really nice. It was out of print for such a long time. They've introduced a new free player rule as well with the 12 limit for free players when you're playing the trick-taking part, which has... It was kind of an exclusively four-player game before, right, Ryan? And now Mm -hmm. it's become available and has got this free player rule variant in there which i think is great and a nice little cauldron reminder card which tells people what happens when tricks are played mm-hmm. yeah when we played it as three players we pretty much exact said exactly that like it just it needs to be lower than 15 as the threshold because it's really hard to hit there so the fact and, and i know we weren't the only people who had said that so the fact that yes nagy Ann had listened to that and and created that new change is really cool how wonderful to take the feedback on board and actually implement it as well mm-hmm. because the reprint wasn't even a sure thing was it and then it now it's appeared and all of a sudden super accessible so big recommendation from us i suppose <laughs> yeah absolutely what's up next what is up next is going to be skull king that is skull king. yeah that is the next one on my list and I mean, I think this one's a strong recommendation just because of how easy this game is to get. You could Agreed. accidentally stumble upon this game. Any board game website you go to, there's a good chance Skull King is there. Now, you could also find Oh Hell or Wizard or any other variation of this game. They're pretty much the same thing. But I'm specifically choosing Skull King because of the additional ability cards that are in there. The Pirates, the Skull King, the Mermaid, the Kraken, the White Whale is the new one, all of those. You can choose to include or exclude any combination of those cards you want. When I play this game with my group, we include everything because we love the chaos. When we play this game, we're expecting chaos. Playing with a big group of people, it's just always a funny time. So that's what we're looking for when we play this game. So we don't mind adding them in. But if you take all of those crazy special abilities out, the game is still really good the trick-taking of it, the way the slow build of cards work, because this is a pretty standard must-follow trick-taking game where you're trying to hit your bid every round. The thing is, you escalate the number of cards in hand every round. So round one, one card. Round two, two cards. Round three, three cards. So on and so forth, all the way up to 10. So the other reason why I think this is a great recommendation is because this is a good game to introduce people into bidding trick-taking. Usually when you're asking someone to bid and you hand them a 12-card hand, They have no idea what to look at. What does this mean? Am I going to trump in with this? Am I going to short suit? It's hard to analyze a hand and and bid on it. With Skull King, though, you only have a single card. Your bid is either zero or one. And then two cards, it's either zero, one, or two. So it slowly introduces to you what your options could be as your hand gets bigger and bigger. Yeah, the game grows on you over over time, you could say, right, Ryan? Yo-ho-ho. Yo-ho-ho and a bottle of rum. A bottle of rum. It's the thematic, the pirate bit, the yars that happen at the table that makes it so interesting. And like you said, this game is available. It's available in different versions. This is the Schmidt version, which has got lovely cartoony style artwork, but it lacks the the Kraken and the the white whale. But most of the versions that are available, Grandpa Bex Games has 
got the Kraken inclusion, and now, of course, we've got the White Whale as well. This game took me by storm when I first got into trick-taking, and it still does. And if I want a party-style trick-taking game, a beer and pretzels, pretzels, I suppose I've got to say beer and rum, right? More just more drinks. <laughs> just no food, just all drinks. Just more drinks. Just, just something, just, well, yeah, you're going to be falling over the side of the ship, aren't you? Probably. But if you want to stitch your friends up and you like the chaos, like Ryan said, you have to like the chaos, I think, because otherwise then I'd probably steer towards the oh hell or maybe even the wizard end of the spectrum. But the skulking end of the spectrum, if you're happy, you're down for the chaos, you like to stitch your friends up and you can laugh it off when you're playing tricks and somebody just pulls out a kraken and destroys everything and your plans go up in smoke then I think Skulking, it was also on my list, is a very, very solid inclusion in an essential trick-taking bag. Absolutely. And to quickly side add to that, Mino Dice is the re-implementation of Skulking, the dice game, essentially. That one's a little harder to get. You would have to import that from Korea. But if you really want chaos and randomness, then play the dice game version because, oh boy, the card, quote-unquote card you have isn't mm-hmm. actually guaranteed to be that like you could have Generally the skull is. king which is like the minotaur and you could still roll a fail on it so love it well my finger slipped ryan and i kind of ordered that game from korea the other day it's uh, the, the hand just people were talking about it they said well skull king but more crazy more random and i thought well if it plays in a short amount of time i i can handle that you know the the craziness the randomness if i'm not sitting there for two hours and ending the game on a dice roll that's completely fine. Mm-hmm. You have to be okay with that for your group and your group have to be okay with it. And if they are, then sounds interesting. I can't wait to try me in a dice and let me know your thoughts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, I got to play it during PGCCon. I played it a couple times. So yeah, it's good. You, you absolutely need your group to be prepared for the randomness though. If anybody is going to get upset by not hitting their bid because the die they thought they were going to failed, then yeah, this game is not going to be for you. Unlike Skulking, where you can make a bid off a strategic play, but then the powers can mess with that, at least your hand doesn't change. That 14 trump card is a 14 trump card. It always will be. But the dice can not be what you want it to be when you want it or when you don't want it to be. Yeah, I loved it because I looked on BGG and one of the first things on there was if you play Euro games a lot, with this game, just tell people you've got to forget any desire to have any element of control over the outcome and I, I thought brilliant right this is a buy for me but i can see completely how that could turn people off massively yeah if that wasn't their cup of tea all right what's next up on your list well i did have skull king that wasn't next on the list but that was a great crossover so appreciated texas showdown otherwise known as Seas of Strife and recently reprinted actually as Seas of Strife. So that's what it will be available as. Uh, I thought was a great trick avoidance game. So that that is my bag as a party, I'm going to say party-ish trick avoidance game for a certainly sweet spot for me would be about five players for, for this game. But you know, six fine. And then your mileage may vary as we always say here. That game is by Mark Major, and the idea is not to take any points at all, which is fine. However, there is a snag, 
when you're playing cards into the trick, the spice, all the cards are different suits with different number ranges on them. And the spice here is, if you can't follow suit, because it is a follow, must follow game, if you can't follow suit and you play off suit, as often is the case in these trick takers, then the next player that's on comes to play into the trick has an even bigger choice. They can play into the originally the suit of the originally led card, or they can play into the suit of the previous people who've played off suit. So there are suddenly become multiple suits available to play into. And then it's the highest card of all of those suits, depending on the suit that's got the majority on the table, which is, sounds really weird when I'm trying to explain it. But basically, you count the colors on the table, which suit's got the most cards on the table, and the highest card of those suits takes the trick. There is a little bit of, with this game, there was a bit of back and forth because the highest card of a suit now a days compared to the old texas showdown showdown rules excludes the suit from winning the trick sounds complicated but when you read the rules it's actually quite straightforward whereas in texas showdown you sort of chose who would lead the next trick which was a little bit pants yeah you usually just pick the person to your left so you'd be in the hammer seat and the last person to play in the trick exactly that's just a little spice that exists in the game it's not the backbone of the game i played it for as and i've got the game as texas showdown i played it with the original rules anyway for a very long time before i discovered this little caveat and thoroughly enjoyed it and everybody i introduced texas showdown to generally speaking would really like it nobody's bounced hard off it we've had a good time the trick avoidance for me is where it's at for a definitive trick avoidance game this is the bee's knees. Absolutely. The ability to play high player count, which really is the only way to play it. Yeah. Four, maybe, but five and six, it's really good at. And it's a good, mean trick avoidance game. Because you do have some choice. And I, and I actually think I might slightly disagree with you and say that the zeroing out cards, playing the highest card in a suit, is the big mm -hmm. spice of the game. Because knowing okay. when that gets played... And then everyone else after, whether they play in that suit to stay zero or they go off suit, maybe or if they don't have that suit, like there's lots of factors that can get played into who will end up taking the trick when things start to get zeroed out. So it's really funny when if you're playing a six player game and five people play that suit and it's being zeroed out and the last person doesn't have that suit, they're going to win the trick no matter what. Because whatever card they play, it's not getting zeroed out. Unless, of course, they play the highest of that suit. Then everything's zeroed out. Then it goes to the highest card. So like, there's just lots of different things you can mess around with to who might get the trick. Lots of buttons you can press. Yeah. And so I will say, though, that this is another game that you do need to be mindful of. If your group doesn't necessarily like mean games, you may want to avoid this one. I don't think it's that mean. I don't think it's as mean as something like Stick'em or even as mean as Schadenfreude. But it definitely gets there because the nature of trick avoidance games is not taking anything. If you're forcing players to take tricks, somebody could get upset if they take like four or five, six tricks in a row. Pretty hard to do in this game. But if it does happen, someone might get a little sour. But if your group's totally fine with that, amazing game. So much fun. So many laughs come from it. Yeah, and I will say that I do feel the change 
in the rules, which was supposed, I think, supposed to be the original rules anyway, is for the better. And that does create these these fun moments. But yeah, you totally have to be okay with people stitching you up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, that game was also on my list. But next on mine, I think we have a few more. Take it in your, str- take it in your strife, Ryan, don't you? Uh, of course. Okay. It's not to see. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, I think we do have some crossover a couple more times throughout the list but next up on mine is boast or nothing designed by marco jung and i think this one's great right off the bat for the art i know a lot of games you know the art can draw you in before you know anything about the game and while that can be dangerous to do aka shinigami preschool uh Hmm. this one you i don't think will have a problem with actual gameplay as well it's a Cloudland, right? An adventuring Cloudland. Absolutely, with mustaches and a tongue. What what more can you say? So good. Uh, Yeah, very silly, weird cloud art. Uh, Now, I will say the rulebook's not great with trying to constantly make jokes. It's almost like if Patrick tried to write a rulebook. It's as if I wrote the rulebook, yeah. What's with that? There's something about baking cookies with the gran and drinking things in there. Yeah, there's a lot of puns and a lot of silly jokes and spots where it's just like, okay, just tell me the rule. What's the rule here? I get the theme and the flavor is fun to throw in your rulebook from time to time, but not every other sentence like it it just it's hard to figure out some things the first time you read through it but the gameplay is actually pretty simple it's three suits there's a few pass cards depending on your player count it's always player count minus one and you're trying to take a specific number of tricks based on player count or zero tricks if you take that specific number you get one point if you take zero tricks you get two points every round no matter the round so it's like a bidding trick taker but it's always the same bid for everybody. And you're trying to be getting the race to essentially five points. Unless you want to change it based on player count, it can be fewer. The way the game was originally designed, it was that way. But essentially, there's, like I said, the three suits. And the cool extra hook to it is there's a changing trump hierarchy. There's this little three discs that you stack together, these really chunky wooden discs. Let's say it's yellow, red, blue is the order. because those are the three suits. If yellow wins the trick, it goes from the top of the hierarchy to the bottom. It goes underneath blue. So now red is ranked highest, then blue, then yellow. Anytime a suit wins, it drops to the bottom. So now if blue wins the trick, it's in the middle, it'll drop to the bottom. So you're constantly changing the strength hierarchy of the suits because it is a must follow. But if you can't follow, you play one of the other suits. And if your suit is ranked higher then whatever was led, you're going to win the trick. So it's easy to win with a, like a low number car that you think might not have won, you know, when it ends up being a higher strength. And then there are, of course, these pass cards, which you can play, which means you essentially just lose the trick. Yeah, pass cards are absolutely wild in this game. It's just you can totally think you've got, oh, you know, there's no way that I can win this trick. Oh, wait, he's got a pass card. So that's actually really one of the nice funny things about the game you don't take it too seriously you can't take a game too seriously when you're met with a cloud with a mustache can you so what do you do you just laugh it off you just move the token you accept your fate and you think well there's always next round yeah absolutely and again it goes into the theme of the game like you said with the clouds but also like the rules the reason why you score two points when you take zero tricks versus taking the specific number which could be harder is because the judges are drunk <laughs> and they They're don't know totally how to score pissed. properly. So they give you more points for taking no tricks. 
again, the idea is being it's boast or nothing. You're trying to be boastful. It's like this competition of how boastful you can be. So when you're taking the tricks, you're boasting about a specific thing you're doing. If you don't boast about anything, AKA tech zero tricks, the judges like you better. I don't know, but it, well, they've always liked me, right? And that's, that's, that goes about. So they've always judged me hard on my jokes, but they generally speaking, they've been in the judge's favor for a while. So does that mean so, none of your jokes have landed? <laughs> zero of your jokes hit? It's just, uh, absolutely nothing. <laughs> so I had to go with the title, try to make a joke out of it. Oh. Never mind. Can we give them a little bonus segment here? So for anybody who's got boast or nothing, and I discovered it. It took me a while of owning this game before even discovering this was a thing. But the board itself, now when it was originally conceptualized, it had different starting spaces depending on your player count. Now, I didn't actually know that. And it doesn't harm the game. I've been playing the game from the bottom of the starting board completely fine. But I thought it was really cool to retrospectively get a pen I've written on my board where the starting spaces were when the game was conceptualized because it just makes it a little bit shorter. Not that it overstays, but it just makes it a little bit more tense to start a little bit higher up at a lower player count. What's your perspective on that? Yeah, absolutely. That's actually the way I originally played it because when I first got it, I watched the rules video on BGG, which is from them, that includes that original setup. So I'm like, oh, that's just it's not on the board anymore. The rules, again, don't explain things well. Mm -hmm. So maybe they just it was a misprint on the board. They forgot it. So I have been playing that way since. And then a couple times I have played it with other people who are like, oh, no, you just always start at the bottom. I'm like, sure, let's give it a go. Yeah. And yeah, like you said, it, it doesn't change the game drastically, but it can make three player games drag on a little because there are some times where nobody scores any points for like a round yeah. or two. And if you're still three, four points away after that, it can take a while. Whereas if you start when you're only like three away, it can be done in two rounds, but usually it's going to be like four or five, which I feel like is a good sweet spot for that game. It can absolutely outstay its welcome if you're playing this game for nine rounds or something. Yeah, if you've got the stamina for nine rounds, then that's great. But I think with this, if you'd like to know where the numbers are on the board, that is a great time to say, please do join our Discord group, our Trick Talkers Discord. Or I'm sure, where else did you say you found it, Ryan? Was it on YouTube? Uh, yeah, it's on BGG, the Board Game Geek page, but it's a YouTube video. We can put it in the show just notes. Join the, join the Discord. Yeah, you, join the Discord and we'll, the we'll put it thing. there. No shameless plug for our Discord or anything. Image of the board or my handwritten artwork. That's great. But anyway. That was also on my list, by the way, so that's another crossover. Yeah, I have a feeling we have like three or four more crossovers, but I don't know. I haven't seen your list. Oh, okay. I like it. I like it. Saving it. Okay. Well, on my list coming up next, we've got Nikosu Dice. Nikosu Dice. Dynamic bidding game, which was designed by you. Suku Matsumoto. Suku Matsumoto. Okay. Nikosu dice. The wonderful thing about this game is you get a bag of dice. And you also... Ryan is insinuating that my pronunciation of Nikosu dice is not correct. No cuss dice. 
as it's I was silently typing it so I didn't have to say it out loud. But you brought it upon yourself, though. So <laughs> I did. I need to be punished for it, so that's why I brought it up. So it's it's fine. I'd like to pronounce it properly if I can occasionally. Nocus dice. There we go. I've got it right. So dice are used in this trick-taking game with the cards as well, which I think is great. The two components coming hand in hand together really, really makes the game because. You start off the game with a load of dice in the middle, which you are pooling. You are taking different dices to play alongside your cards. Everybody knows you've got the dices. Everybody can see the values of those dices. You don't re-roll them. They're just taken as they are. So if I take a six red dice, everybody knows that I've got a six red, for example. Obviously, I've got the cards in my hand, which are hidden from my opponent's. And the idea is, is the dice that you're left with, if you don't go for zero, you are going to be left with a dice. And that dice's value at the end of the round will determine your bid, how many tricks you're going for. If you go for zero, you'll bin one of the dices, you'll throw that dice away and you'll try and hit zero tricks. Everybody obviously knows that you're going for that. But the great thing about this game is it's not quite decided how many tricks you're going for until you get down to your last dice, which is what makes it really spicy because everybody can see what you've got available and they are going to make sure and do their damned hardest to make sure that you don't hit your bid relative to the information that's on the table. All about timing, when do you play a dice, when do you play a card, such a nice marry-up of components, really one of my favourite trick-takers. But I also think because of its dynamic nature... It's super, to me, this is super essential. I'm not trying to supersede the essential award or anything, Ryan, but this one is bidding without the stressful anxiety of upfront saying what you want the bid to be, but made in an interesting way where things can evolve and change according to what cards people have played. You're never locked out completely until the end. Maybe you hit your bid, and it feels rewarding, and it it's just, this this game has always landed for me and i hope that whoever's listening if you decide to pick it up or if you decide to it had been hard to get hold of and i have a proxy i've got no shame in that i've got a game called parade i've got some colored dices i've got some colored numbered dices because i was desperate to try it out and that's the way i play it of course if it's available sure grab it but wonderful game most certainly this one obviously on my list as well it's in my top 10 list this game is so brain burny but it's so good the like you said the dynamic bidding having that moving bid of choosing during the round versus at the beginning is really nice too it is why i say this is not a good introduction to bidding trick-taking game because it's just the other overload of the game is crazy the introduction to the moving bid is really good and there are a few other games that do this as well. Anansi and Seven Segment Tricks or now tricks, Twinkle yeah. Starship, yeah. which I'd actually considered putting that game on my list instead because I really like that one too. And I think it's yeah, a pretty similar enough game to Nocus Dice, depending on sort of how you're feeling that day, on yeah. which one you want to go yeah, for. Having the ability to change your numbers is super cool. But I think the drafting of the dice and the changing of the trump and having the super trump hierarchy, while can be mind-melting at first and and a little hard to grasp, 
is really cool. It's does it happens in other games too. It's not the only game that does it, but I think this game does that and everything else that it does really well. There's a lot going on in the game, but it still feels really clean. All the rules in the game feel like they're meant to be there and they feel like they fit appropriately. And like getting the bonuses, depending on the number of players that hit their bid, you'll score bonus points. I didn't really say this about 99, but it does the same thing. The more players that hit their bid, the less bonus points everyone's getting. Oh, yeah. Which yeah. works really well in Nocus Dice. So you're all having this changing bid on trying to hit these specific number of tricks. The more of you that hit it, the less valuable it is. So you're trying to make sure other people miss their bid while also hitting yours. Adds a little bit of interaction into an already interactive game. And the going for zero tricks is always a lot of fun. You get to get rid of one of your dice and you'll get bonus points on top of the shared bonus points for hitting it. And then no matter what, you always get one point per trick, which I think is a great sort of consolation prize. Even if you fail your bib, no matter what it is, zero or something, you're always going to get one point per trick, which is great. There are certain games where you miss your bid, too bad, so sad. Take oh, your yeah, ball and yeah. go home. You're screwed, right? That's, there's no way. Yeah, out. which yeah. I guess, you know, sometimes can be great. Again, if you want a, a meaner cutthroat bidding game, then great, there are options. But if you want one that's a little more lenient, that still has all of these fun decisions, Nocus Dice is perfect for that. Yeah, I think you're right. This, excuse the pun, pips a lot of other games to the post with its dice dynamic. This game, if you, Ryan, if you, not that you would, if you came around and you burnt my entire collection of trick takers, please don't do it. But if you did, hypothetically speaking, this would be one of the trick taking games that I would go out and buy straight away to start my trick taking collection again. It's that good. Yes, you might stumble with the Super Trump stuff, but see through it. It's it's worth persevering. Yeah. And I know one thing that I always do when we play our game, and I've heard other people do as well, as soon as that Trump suit and number have been determined, reorganize all of those cards so that they're separated from where they're supposed to normally be, keeping them as their own suit. And then when people, as soon as you play a card, announce that mm -hmm. I'm out of this color now, and then people realize, nope, that's actually the Trump color. That's not right. Like, sure, you've revealed the card, but maybe do a practice hand of that. Just, you know, get... Yeah, cat bad yeah. round. And then yeah. once everyone feels comfortable, play the game for real. Again, it's not that big of a deal. These are all just card games. You're just supposed to be having fun, you know? Just relax, and if you make that mistake, move on. It's fine. Sounds a bit dicey, that. A little dicey, right? Some good news with this game, though. It was normally harder to find, but it has been confirmed there is a reprint coming from the in-games publisher... So you should be seeing that in the next few months, maybe. There wasn't an official date, but just keep your eye out. You'll probably see copies become more readily available while still having to import. This one is unfortunately not just coming to like Amazon <laughs> or anything. You'll still you have to do your normal importing ways. And even if you don't buy it, I think this is one game. If you like trick-taking at all, I, you should try it. You You owe it to yourself to at least try it and see if you like yeah. it and as you said you can proxy it pretty easily ways to do that 100 yes dice are pretty accessible nowadays but we always say support the designer if you can Correct. if you can afford to and if you want to help them out with their future career in designing games i suppose 100 percent. all right next on mine is going to be the one and only yokai septet Designed by Mune wow. Yuki Yokouchi. 
I can't say it wasn't expected, Ryan, because it is on my list. And you know what I was going to do? If, if if Yokai Septic had landed on me, if you like, if it was me that had to do the Yokai Septic bit, I would have been straight away, you're the Yokai man. I have to hand over the microphone to you at this point because I would have felt intimidated trying to explain this game in the presence of your, your Yokai aura. Is, oh, don't don't put me on that high of a pedestal. <laughs> no, no, this is this is the you know as a fellow podcaster co-host, but this is I knew you as the yokai man before we started this podcast, and I this is the yeah this is the game you you have to take it away from me on this one. I mean, like I said, yeah. with with Dual Boy, if there's something that I fall in love with, I will hype it up like crazy. I will talk about it nonstop. I will make sure people are aware of this game. And Yokai Septet is definitely one of those games. It just the decision space in this game is so tight and so tense and just nervous, but that good nervous. It's just, it's so good. Every trick matters is a team-based trick-taking game where you're trying to collect four or more of these boss yokai cards, which are the sevens of every suit. There are seven suits with seven cards in each suit. So as you can see, seven shows up a bunch in this game, and that's the important number. First one, team to seven points wins, seven or more points. But you're trying to collect these cards through trick play. And because there are seven cards in the seven suits, there's a good chance you're going to be short suited, you know, during a trick. It's like only one, one trick can go around where all players are in that suit. Now, four of the seven cards have been played. There's only three left. It's not going to be possible to go around again. There's like that one chance you get to win that trick with that seven. And certain sevens are worth more points than others. You get to pass three cards to your partner at the beginning of the round before you start to trick play. So you have some information you can give and then you're off to the races. And like I said, every trick matters when you lead the 13 blue, which is the highest in the blue suit. If your opponents have the blue seven, but they have other cards to pad it with because it's a must follow trick taker. If they have another blue, they could play. They're just going to do that. They're not going to let you win the seven that easily. And now you're just winning a wasted trick because every trick you don't win a seven, you don't want. As soon as you get seven tricks and you don't have four or more boss yokai, you lose the round and the opponents score points. Only one team can ever score a round. So you're always trying to make sure that you're the scoring team. So again, just meaty choices all around. And that's what you're thinking about every trick. And it's just really good. Now I will say because of how stressful and tense this game can be, I do see the negative effects that it can have. If you are someone who's concerned about letting down your partner, or maybe you haven't played it as much and you're playing against people who are more experienced. Or, or yokai withdrawal syndrome because you like it so much you want to go back to it. Right. Are we playing right now? Is that what I'm hearing? Well, that is the easy solution. <laughs> we just need two more people. Just need two more recruits. Yeah, this game is actually on my list as well. And the reason I put this on my list, Ryan, is because... I can't think of many other team trick-taking games where it's kind of a 2v2 that are so unique. Uh, certainly it's clever with the sevens. The real reason I like this so much is because of the metagame potential that can develop. And having that partner, when you're knowing what cards you're going to play, passing the cards, there's so much psychological stuff going on in the background for me that keeps it interesting from play to play i haven't been able to play my copy as much as i'd like to have played it because 
one of my regular group members isn't a fan of team trick takers but i'm here for the psychological i'm here for the you know the team element i'm here for just because it's so cool it's just different from a lot of the other trick taking games that i've got it's not a standard trick taker as the dangerous term that sort of floats about oh this is a standard trick taker yokai septic holds its head up as something different from that and you're obviously very passionate about it so we've we've said you're the, the yokai man for anybody listening but this is genuinely a good game and if i was building a collection it would be one it would be in there i think it's fair i think part of the 15 it's a well worthy of an inclusion yeah i know you said noka stice would be the first one that you'd restart your collection with i'm pretty sure yokai septet would be the first one i'd go for nice i yeah. like it they're different but they're both essential right mm-hmm. we, we agree on that yeah. i think it'd be a tough choice but i think that's what i'd go with also because that one is more easily available too <laughs> which is helpful well that always helps doesn't it and having that ace card the ace card the the card that beats everything in there as well and knowing when that's gonna come out maybe one of the sevens is showing you have a trump suit that showed that's revealed to all players and maybe it's one of the sevens and then it's a gasp at the table well, how are we going to get that seven well you, you know it's it's out so just the changing dynamics and playing this with different people i really look forward to some more future plays so i believe that concludes yokai septic i think it does and you're up next for your game yeah so my next game is going to be voodoo prince reiner knitzia's little trick-taking gem also known as marshmallow it's marshmallow test marshmallow test but that's has cute little marshmallow bits but i think the best rule set from at least from looking at it and not having played the marshmallow version for me is the voodoo prince game where they're both similar concept you're taking trick as late as you can but you don't want to be the last person in the round to take tricks you want to wait it out for a little bit because what you do is the longer you leave it the more points you get so you look at the tricks that everybody's taken on the table as well as the tricks that you've taken whereas if you go out last you just look at the tricks that you've taken which is normally a lot less than relative to what the table's taken as well that's played over several rounds the interesting thing is there is a zero card in there as well which also beats the highest card of its color there's a little twist this is a great game because it supports an awkward player count and i don't know if it's that awkward nowadays i'm gonna say it's the five player mark right and this to me is a, a five player game we've obviously we talked about texas showdown but there's not that many trick takers out there that do support five players really well. This is quite simple at its heart, and that's what Reiner Knizia does best, isn't it? It's a simple design, simple twist, rule set, accessibility, great, but a lot of fun to play with a group of people. Now, for pure chaos and fun, yes, I'd probably pick Skull King over this, for sure. But if you want chaos and fun that's a little bit more controlled where it, the fun is in the timing is in the waiting out who's gonna be last here who's gonna be last this round am i gonna make it i really dig it i used to like it i set it on the shelf went off it a bit and thought eh, you know there's all these japanese card games surely it's been superseded 
brought it out the cupboard last time we had five people and I thought, yeah, you know, this is why the game's on my shelf. These people are having a good time. They're laughing. They're enjoying themselves. And that's what this hobby is all about for me. So what's your perspective on it? You, uh, and, and before you answer, and just wanted to say that the original German edition has some extra symbology on the cards. I think you can get this one from abroad. I believe there's a Korean version it's fine it lacks a little bit of symbology on some of the numbers but you soon get to learn that you know you can split tricks there's a few other little neat things going on in there but yeah what's your perspective on 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 voodoo prince yeah i mean i think i'd agree with the points that you hit on it is definitely a good five player game i think most of the time when i'm playing it it's usually when we have a higher player count okay the delayed gratification of trying to get your tricks later is really cool because sometimes it's like three, four tricks in a row is when everyone's starting to hit their two tricks. So you might feel comfortable of, I'm, I'm definitely going to get my two tricks. I need to pull back a little bit. And then all of a sudden, everyone else gets two, 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 two. And then you're the last two people left. And now you're worried about not getting your second trick and ending the round. So that timing element is, is a lot of fun. Yeah, it's neat. And the dynamic of changing Trump every round as well, it's never quite, it doesn't play out exactly the same. It depends on the group you're with. Some people will stitch you up. Some people play differently. So very cool. Thought the doctor has to get in there somewhere, doesn't he, Ron? He has to have a home in this list somewhere. Yeah, and I, <laughs> that might just be because he has so many games. I feel like <laughs> probably right. it's going to accidentally end up in every list yeah, anyways. Game, right? While the game is not on my list... I can see why you'd have it on yours, and I absolutely agree with that recommendation. What's next on yours? Next on mine is going to be Inside Job by Tanner Simmons. Uh, we've talked about this game a bunch on the show. Inside and out. Inside and out. Yeah. <laughs> like it. Uh, this is a social deduction trick-taking game, similar to the other one like Shamans, which are really the, the only two one there are a few others but yeah only two worth yeah between those two i think inside job is still the one i prefer and the one i'd recommend over shamans the trick play the social deduction deduction aspect of it is a little more clever a little more interesting so what you're trying to do in inside job is if you're the insider which is the bad guy is you are trying to collect these little intel tokens you do that by winning tricks or if other players wager tokens on the tricks, which is essentially trying to change their card to Trump. But you're trying to win a certain number of those based on player count. As soon as you collect the right amount, you reveal your role. And if you're the insider, you'd win the game. If you're an agent, which is the good guy team, you'd still reveal your role if you hit that threshold of intel. But the game doesn't end. Everyone just knows you're a good guy and you're still trying to find the insider. As an agent, though, you're trying to complete a certain number of missions to win the game. These missions will be anything like the first card played wins the trick or the second and third card match suit. There's a whole stack of them that do different things. And the lead player draws two from the mission deck, picks one and puts the other one face down so players can't see it. And then that mission not only determines what you need to do, but it also determines what's trump for that trick. So it does work well, and it works well in a lot of trick-taking games, and I think this was one that also fits that. And the social deduction aspect, as I said, works really well because 
there's subtle things that you can do during the trick play. And there's also that thing in every social deduction game where even when you're a good guy and you have to fail something because it's a must follow and you got to play a card. Fingers get pointed, right? Exactly. So it helps the insider just innately by having somebody else being forced to do something bad that they didn't mean to. So it can just create hilarious moments there while still trying to keep a semblance of a trick-taking game. So I think it all packages itself really well. Yeah, funny story on that. I banged my foot while I was playing this game, and I went, oh, I let out a groan, and of course somebody interpreted that as the cards I was playing I wasn't happy about, and they were like, you're definitely the insider. And at the end of the game, I was like, well, actually, no, I just banged my foot, and maybe I should have clarified that while we were playing, because <laughs> obviously that can happen and emerge from card play, of course, so just be careful what you do when you're playing that game. I think you're absolutely right with this inclusion because it's included for me as well i looked at shamans i had shamans and i moved it on i didn't play it which is a shame in a way because it's, shame, it's hard to man. judge a co- shame man it's a shame man that's that word better <laughs> that's said it a bit more in a cool way you know it's more street but anyway it, it yeah it, i'm gonna say it's a shame <laughs> it is a crying shame because the thing is, I always like to play a game before I say I, this is bad or I really like it. or what, And I try and play it a few times to form an objective opinion on it. I'm probably the same, Ryan. With Shamans, I had a rules overview. I watched it, the rules overview a couple of times. I don't think it's actually that complicated, by the way. And certainly I've played more complicated games. But... For me, it just seemed like a bit more fiddly overhead-wise in terms of you do this, you get a mask, you do that, you get a dagger. Trying to explain that and then looking at the rule set for inside job and going, yeah, this is a skinny version of that, except there's a bit more deduction to it. There's more characters you can get. There's no, you know, Shaman's discussion on BGG about the balance with the shadow and things. This didn't have that, and it was quite refreshing to just get a copy from Germany, paste it up before the English version's out now, of course. I would like to play it more. It's For me, it's the most worthwhile inclusion because scarcity, right? There's hardly any games in the trick-taking genre if Shamans and Inside Job are the only two, maybe a couple of others, like you said, that do this thing. So just for that alone... The gameplay is great. The uniqueness with the suitcases, being able to change Trump and each round and having a crew-like feel to it, except it's just for that hand of, round of cards that gets played, which makes it different again, is really neat. So, yeah, it's it's a go-to. Yeah, and I think it's, it's great, and it's kind of funny that Cosmos, the publisher, picked up Inside Job. Like, it's, it's great. Tanner Simmons made a really good game, but... Like you just said, the crew, it's sort of like the crew with missions with social deduction, which makes sense because Cosmos is also the publisher for the crew, which is designed by Thomas Singh. So like those two games are a good combination for, you know, them to have together for trick taking. Good parallels. And to be honest, I haven't got to it yet, but there's quite a lot of interesting roles in there. There's different advanced roles that change the game in different ways. So I can see this not playing out the same over and over again. I think there's enough replayability there baked into the suitcases. Is that fair to say? Yeah, and actually, I mean, I think the advanced roles 
really makes the game. It can be a little stale with just the agents and insider and no special abilities. So if you've played this game before or you play it for the first time and you only use the regular agents and regular insider and you're not taken aback by it, I mean, that just might be you. You might not like the game. That's fine. Totally acceptable. But I would strongly recommend to at least try one game with some of the advanced roles before you make that final decision because those add an extra layer to the social deduction aspect, but also the trick-taking aspect. So it heightens both parts of the game and makes for more interesting choices, I think, on on certain parts. Yeah. So I think that probably covers inside job ryan it does inside and out as you said unique inside and out there we go and look back at some of our other episodes for more details on it Mm -hmm. it's good fun up next we have for northwood by wilhelm sue now i don't really this is a solo trick taker i have little to no interest in solo games so why patrick then did you buy the game because because it's amazing It's cool as hell. Yeah, it's it's great. Uh, I haven't fully explored Northwood yet. I haven't delved too much into the Animal Kingdom, but I have played it. And what I can say is, if I'm ever traveling on a journey by myself, on a train journey, or I've got some free time, and I want to engage with something that's analog and not just a video game or whatever else I do when I'm not with friends, this is a great go-to. It's a lovely little puzzle. You've got different animal companions that you can mix up that give you little one-time abilities. And you've got other animals which you have to win over. In Win over? Talk them have around? Have a good conversation them. with them that they want to join your side. Good, Have a good chin wag with the animals in Northwood. Get them to join your side and then they give you a little power that you can use once as well to help you win more tricks. That's the, the idea. You're trying to win a certain amount of tricks depending on the animal's territory that you've gone into there's different cars on the table they have different winning criteria some of them might require you to win one trick some might require three or four and that's fine so you're going with that criteria you're trying to win them over to get points essentially and you're trying to get points to then be judged by the rule book at the end which tells you whether you've done well and your performance in Northwood was acceptable. And obviously, I was completely inferior on my first play, Ryan. I tried to get all the juicy juicy animals or the enticing animals too soon and therefore fell foul of Northwood's law. Is that even a thing? I mean, it can be now. Yeah, it can be now, though. There we go. Yeah. No, it it's a great game, as you said. The the puzzle for it, I really enjoy. It's very much a puzzle trick-taking game on how to solve to get it the is. exact yeah. number of tricks. But it is very tight on its scoring. It doesn't allow for a lot of misses. 16 is the lowest you can get on points, which it's out of 20. So you can miss four points. As soon as you've done more than that, you'll lose even i mean you you're supposed to play out the whole game to get your score but if it's under 16 it's a a losing score that hedgehog's judging you hard basically yeah and for an autonomous opponent which essentially is what the game is doing this was super breezy i've played solo the pax premier second edition where in the early days i was in the rule book most of the time before i even got playing 
This one, literally, you set the game up, you turn a card over for the uh, AI, the animal opponent, if you like, and you turn cards over for yourself, and it's just so breezy, so easy, so accessible, so good. What more can I yeah, say? Pretty much. That's and I mean, we we talked about this recently too on our travel episode, which we you know yeah. we made that list of games to travel with, and this one was the main reason why we made that list. So I think it makes sense to carry it over to the essential games. Carry it over. Travel yeah. game. I didn't even try size. that. Great box but, Yeah, it's... Yeah. The cards. It's plastic plastic cards. cards. Yeah, plastic cards. Fun box that it comes in, the way it pulls out. Cute art. Might be a little bit too cutesy for some people. I know it's almost like a tra- like a kid's TV show art. I know some people... Don't have, let it deceive you. I... Don't want to say I know some people don't like games when they don't have good art. It, it can ruin the game or a good art can make a game better. I totally get that. Art is very opinionated and so much to the eye of the beholder. Don't avoid this game just because the art doesn't look good. The gameplay is so good that it, I think, outweighs the art, which I don't think the art's bad at all, but I, I digress. <laughs> yeah, and you, like we always say as i said before with this game you don't have to play it solo play it with a partner play it with a friend family member and go for it together and talk through your strategy and if you want to if you don't like the idea of a solo game that's another way to dip your toes in or dip your feet into northwood and and try it out for yourself 100 okay What's next, next is actually a game i just mentioned a few minutes ago and that's okay. the crew oh there we go surprise surprise on my list too that's hey. so many crossovers nice so many and the crew by again thomas singh this game extremely available it really sings this game it really right? does sing and being a cooperative game where you're trying to complete specific missions depending on if you're playing the first one or the second one determines what those missions will be pretty much the second one is better than the first one now you can get them so cheap that i'd still recommend trying out the first one like you could probably get it for five dollars somewhere uh whether it's used or even in shrink i think you could probably get it for around that so i'd recommend if you haven't played the first one see where the game came from experience it like everyone else did the first time it came out and then go to the second one and see the differences that were made to see the advancements but once you play the second one you're probably not going to go back to the first one. The missions are just a little more in-depth. They're more involved than just specific cards. Yeah, the crew is a fantastic choice. If you like cooperative games, that's a big caveat here. If your group Mm -hmm. doesn't like cooperative games, if you don't like potential alpha, alpha gamer problems, which unfortunately comes with every cooperative game, I feel like those are always hand in hand. Uh, basically having somebody tell you what to do quarterbacking yeah, or, quarterbacking, or yeah. someone getting upset when you don't play the right thing because those missions can be time sensitive specific tricks you have to win at certain times or a certain card before it's pulled and if you play the wrong thing one of the people at the table might get mad at you for playing that and so yeah if you just don't want that atmosphere or you think you might have a player in your group with that atmosphere it might be a problem but if not great choice yeah, if you want to bollock your friends for talking in space, which you absolutely can't do, and you need to remind them of that, then this is also great as well. The crew is one of my favourites. We kept the same group. We found that that was really good for the meta game. Of course, you don't have to do that. I know people who say they enjoy this at two. The Mission Deep Sea is worth it just to say that you've tried a vanilla ice cream before you go to the vanilla ice cream with chocolate sauce, if that appeals to you, because... 
although I haven't played Mission Deep Sea, I already know from popular opinion, and obviously Ryan's as good as any, that the Mission Deep Sea does build on what is already a great system, makes it better, but why not just give yourself extra missions and just play them both? They're cheap and available, and yeah, you can totally have a lot of fun with them. One of my absolute essentials on this list, if you've got a group of people and they're consistent, ideally, not necessary, you fancy just having a bit of fun and working towards a common cause and telling each other off for playing rockets out of line, right? That's the main mm. thing. Yeah, no, the meta game, like you said, is, is a great part of it as well, too. If you can get the same group to go through all 50 missions in the first one and I think it's 34 in the second one, uh, and then there's like bonus ones there's as well. Yeah, stuff. It, yeah. it can be really rewarding. And you start to learn tendencies of players when you play with them so many times in that mission type system. So you can understand without actually needing to talk anymore. If this type of mission is out, what one player might typically play or how they'd want to play. So it's almost like the mind. You know, you don't talk in that game. You just yeah, play cards, but so. you learn how somebody starts to do something and then you don't have to say anything and you do it it feels good one of the best types of games cooperative games that i've played and it happens to be a trick taker can you believe it but there we go it's definitely go and seek it out and play it. if you haven't played it already you probably have but if you haven't try it out in the same vein ryan the next one on my list is hamlin cave slash sale because that is a cooperative trick taker that is by Akiyama Koryo and Kozu Yusei. Yusei, Yusei. Hamlin Cave recently got reprinted as Sale by All Play Games, board game tables, as most people know them. A game from Japan where you are essentially navigating a boat through a cave or treacherous journey. There's a board. There's a boat counter, and you take you get a special character that gives you an ability for the duration of the game. And the nice thing about the game is there's different levels of difficulty. No matter which version you've got, you can up the difficulty and accordingly might have a chance to play it later, Ryan. I think I've got up to I've actually got up to level four, which is really hard to do. It's very impressive, actually. Yeah, I mean I'm not boasting here of course boasting i think we've done that already but it's a very challenging game that's very rewarding and it's interesting to play with the same person as well because you get you pass a card to each other at the start there's a bit of a passing convention you don't quite know why they've passed you a card necessarily but they have and throughout the journey you've got uh, obstacles on the boat in the cave you can't go into the wall on your side you're going to be navigating the boat back and forth between the two sides of the table your side and your partner's side there are different ghosts in the old version hamlin cave i think it's a kraken is it in the new version ryan yeah it's a kraken it's a crack. It's a crack, and everybody loves a kraken. Yeah, but ghost and pirates, I think, are a little cooler. Ghost pirates, pretty badass, <laughs> though. Showing off, but they are badass. And basically, what you're trying to do is you're trying to kill these the krakens or the ghost pirates to make sure that the, they don't all come down and overwhelm you and destroy your boat and, and ruin your game. That your boat makes it to a certain distance through the cave before certain rounds and also that 
you don't there's a special card as well which if it's on its own you kind of just lose so without getting into too much nitty-gritty it's not too complicated there are mermaids in the Hamlin Cave edition certainly that move the propel the boat forward massively but that requires you and it requires your partner to both play off suit because this is a must follow trick taker if you can and when two sit there's a lot of symbology on the cards like wheels that move the boat there are ghosts uh, in the old version there's ghosts and and wheels that bring these ghost pirates down that cause some chaos and still move you and there are little swords as well that you get to flip cards and trigger cool events and things happen so you have your own character abilities that can also change those up as well yeah this is probably i'm going to go on the record and say my favorite two-player trick taker ever maybe one of my certainly been my top three or maybe top five trick takers of all time which says a lot about it hopefully uh, and speaks to how how good this game is so what do you think ryan hamlin cave no it, it's fantastic i'd also agree this is probably one of the best two player only trick taking games out there i don't know if it's my top one but it's definitely one of the top three. And with the new sale version coming, it'll be significantly easy to find. The Hamlin K version is very difficult. To to, yeah, yeah, even when it was in quote unquote in print, it was still difficult to get. So thankfully sale and coming from all play, they're usually pretty cheap retail and you can get those upgraded bits, which for this game, I don't think you need. They actually busy the board too much and make it hard to see. And I I guess, so the one nice thing with the sale version that's a positive and a negative I can see is in Hamlin Cave, there's stuff pre-printed on the boards. So there's different boards. You can flip them over to different sides to have the different configurations for the five different levels. Sets up some Yeah, it's very easy. Just put the board out and you're done. But it means it's limited to only those. Whereas in the sale version, it's blank boards and you put all the pieces on the board at the beginning to make the levels. So while that means there's an infinite amount of levels because you can make custom ones, it just means you're setting up a lot more by placing all these individual components. And then when you're moving stuff or if the table bumps or whatever, it can potentially become a little fiddly for a part of the game that isn't necessarily supposed to be a part of the game anymore. It's an added addition that didn't need to be there, but having that replayability and the variability like crazy is super cool. So I think it's more of a positive than a negative because of what it can offer. So I'm very excited to see what the final production looks like for that. You can't get it at the time of this recording. It's not available yet. It's still going through the Kickstarter. Give it a little bit of time. It'll be on every future all play Kickstarter. It'll be available retail at their conventions, wherever you'll be able to find this game. Yeah. You'll be sailing through, lots of kickstarter pledges pledge managers and finding it on there yeah through their 15 pages of add-on games (laughs) 15 pages of add-on games yeah that's it really bites so there we go all right so i have got vamp on the bat walk this is by john simon simentoff and this one actually does not get talked about a lot uh, we haven't really talked about it a lot on here. Nobody 
really talks about this game in any trick-taking circles that I'm aware of. Early episode last October or something, we talked about it, Halloween game, but that was feels like so long ago. Yeah, and why I wanted to put it on this list is because I think it's a really fun, silly party trick-taking game that works really well at high player counts and works really well at low player counts. The cool twist of it, too, is that you can't see your own hand when you're dealt your cards. Every card has its suit on its back. So you know what suit you have, but you don't know the cards you have. There are a handful of other games that do this. Um, Lose by Taiki Shinzawa. I know it's a big one that we've talked about before. And that's one you'd probably think I would have put on the list. But I actually think this one is better because of the silliness that comes from the game. The theme on it is hilarious. Vampires on a bat walk, which is like a catwalk. Yeah, it's uh, supposed to be like a fashion show. The box itself becomes the scoreboard and you put everybody on the little bat walk. And as you slowly get points, you're walking further and further out. The There's a, um, like a rock, paper, scissors sort of triangle thing of how tricks can be resolved with normally like a high number would win the trick of lead suit. But there's also these stars, which are the most powerful cards. But then there's garlics, which are the weakest cards, but garlics beat stars and the stars beat the numbers and the numbers beat the garlic. So it's just that constant um, rock, paper, scissors thing. And there's this additional thing of stealing the show where if you play a card that matches the current card that's essentially you know winning or leading, as they call it, you steal a point, aka you get a point immediately, and then you're potentially also winning the trick or you're changing the card that's winning the trick. So there's this deduction of knowing what suit you have, but not the specific type of card, looking at the other players, seeing in that suit, what card did they have, and then figuring out what yours could be. Then deciding, does it make sense to play it because I could steal a show or maybe it's a garlic, so I'm not going to win. Oh, there's a star in play. I do want to play the garlic. So there's actually a lot of really good deduction choices to make in a very silly game. Like I said, works, especially at the higher player counts. It's funny when it goes around and like two or three different people steal the show. We always like to steal the show, Ryan, don't we? That's that's the thing. And um, it, love the theme. For me, this, I haven't played it, by the way. I have played Lose. And obviously, other trick-taking games where you can see the backs of cards. You've got this twist. But the theme really intrigues me. So I would really like to play this with you and then feedback to folks at home what my thoughts were and sure i it's been recommended by you it's an essential for a reason right so it looks like a lot of fun i'm guessing this is a game that doesn't take itself too seriously and neither should you take this game too seriously looking at the box oh for sure and i think another like the clever thing too with it is the fact that you can't see your own hand also goes into the like vampire thing where vampires can't see the reflection when they look into a mirror they don't see themselves so it's like you can't see your hand it's like that's just a funny little twist to it as well yeah it's i didn't i didn't know that they on reflection they couldn't see so so i've learned something new and folks at home probably have learned something new vampires can't see their own reflection if if you take nothing else away (laughs) from today's trick talkers episode there's a fun fact to start. That's an icebreaker, right? They yeah. use it on Tinder, use it in a bar, wherever you like. Yeah. Right. And if Great. you're at a bar, you probably have that reflection, uh, the glass in the back. Vampires won't be able to see themselves. 
If we're funny, like we're looking in a mirror, and if we were vampires, we wouldn't be able to see our parts. Yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe I'll try it on a first date or something. I'm digressing, but I like it. I like it. And so my one critique to the game would be, I think there's one too many cards cut out. Because you deal five cards per player, but there are seven cards in a suit. And it's always one suit per player. So three-player game, three suits. Five cards per player means there's two cards per player undealt. And that, like I said, the deduction part of the game is what is really like the spice of it. It's what makes good and fun decisions in the game. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And there's sometimes just too many cards cut out to really be able to make those decisions. And while I'm I'm normally a person, I don't care. I love chaos. I love, I I don't mind cards being cut out. Trick takers, pups, all of those like top games for me have a lot of cards cut out. Kanaloa. But in this game... You actually need to have more information, just a little bit. It doesn't need to be all the cards because then that wouldn't be any fun. You need some hidden information. But I actually have tried the game in both ways, the normal ways where you're supposed to have only five cards. But then we've also played a game where it was six cards per player just to see how it felt. And it was a smidge better. Now, again, recommend play it as rules written because it's still an enjoyable game. But if you feel like there's too many cards cut out, just try one more card per player and see how that would go for you. Yeah, and if it sucks the life and soul out of your gaming group, you can just say, well, that's that's what vampires do, right? So there we go. Worth one inclusion, right? Something I must try. So don't want to talk about it too much because we've covered the hell out of this game, but this is Trick Takers, the game. and Love it. Probably the, yeah, probably the expansion as well because I feel like if you're picking it up anyway, then you probably should get the expansion just keep it sealed play the base game see it if it lands and then if it does you've got some great content to support it that game is by Hiroken. as we probably all know if people have been listening to our episodes we talked about it an absolute bunch there's kings which is kind of a uh, in the same universe slightly different little trick takers again another game that you can play with it trick takers components but the reason i've included it is because an asymmetric trick taker is super unique relative to what else is on the list relative to what else is out there in general and the fact that everybody gets a character but they get a character just for a round you're not stuck with all being there you know cosmic encounter whatever you you stuck with a character and if your character's infinitely better than everybody else people start saying well you know your your aliens just does that and therefore I can't win right or we've all been there with different games I mean I feel like with this one it feels more balanced yes you probably need to do a practice round probably need to play it a few times we played it last night introduced it to my group Played it once, said, this is a practice, did it again, and they were like, okay, it's clicking. You know, you start with the base characters and you you explore the systems. I'm sure, Ryan, you know, you're probably going to draw a similar conclusion to me here, but phenomenal game. Think it needs to be in there. Work your way up to it. It's not a first-time trick-taker game. It is a game that you have and augments the rest of your collection when you want to play something a little bit more thinky albeit loads of cars are taken out, but it's still a lot of agency in there. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't really need to say too much more on that game because like you said, we've talked about this game so much and I actually didn't put this on my list. And before you say anything, that's only because it's on my honorable mentions because right. I am working with Portland Game Collective and this is one of the games that we are bringing. So it feels weird to say an essential game that's required for you to have in your collection is a game yeah, that really. I am publishing and, you know, doing that so to add a caveat for that i put it on my honorable mentions which i included all of our games because i honestly think trick takers haggis 535 bridge city poker are all games that are really good essentials and those are the reasons why those are the games you know we have picked up with portland game collective well bridge city poker being lee Gianu's game the main owner of portland game collective but the others that we're, we're bringing we believe are essential games that people should have more available to them so trick takers absolutely one of them as well reason why i made all the paste ups and was trying to get it to english because i love this game one more people to play it and and having the rights to be able to make the official english version has just been so amazing and just the experience of doing that has, has been great yeah and in fairness to you as well ryan this game existed obviously before you acquired the rights you were singing its praises for a very long time and even if you hadn't had the rights, which is now a great thing because it means this is going to be more available to general public and in English, saves the paste-up headache. Even if you hadn't, I'm sure you would have mentioned this game regardless. So it certainly has its place. Absolutely. So next up for me is going to be Fox in the Forest. Both the original by Josh Burgel and Fox in the Forest duet by Foxtrot Games. Uh, it's kind of take your pick, whichever one you prefer. If you like cooperative versus not cooperative, I think either one of these will be great. I like both of them. I prefer duet a little bit more, um, but they do play differently without different outcomes, of course, being competitive and cooperative. But duet, you're trying to pick up these diamonds before you run out of time. And in the regular Fox in the Forest, you're racing to a specific number of points but you're doing it based on the number of tricks you take. You're trying to get the sweet spot. If you take too many, you go over because you were too greedy. If you get right in the middle, you get a little less. So you're trying to take that specific number of tricks to, to get the best amount of points or most amount of points. And this is another, it's a two-player only trick-taking game that is currently available. So if you don't want to wait for sale and you want a two-player game, this would be a good one to check out. Uh, it's pretty cheap too. I think you can probably find a copy for like 10 or $15. The deck where it's got specific cards do abilities. So not every card has an ability, which is nice for people who don't like abilities and having to read every single card before you play it. This is a nice in between where it still does some crazy things, manipulating cards, manipulating Trump, whatnot. But in the cooperative version, I think I like it a lot because it allows you to do stuff with your partner and make you feel like you're excelling and, and being clever when you make those choices on trying to collect all these diamonds. Yeah, Fox in the Forest, I had the game, the two-player version. I've not tried the cooperative version. I'd be keen to do that. I think it's a very solid game, I think. Although I don't have it now, the only reason is because you know I've got games Jekyll and Hyde, for example, Jekyll versus Hyde. Even you could put in a slightly similar category where the you want to take tricks, but you don't want to take too many, and it ebbs and flows as a rhythm you kind of get. Obviously, it's going to come down to if you like the theme. The fox is a, a cute 
and I do dig this game. I do enjoy it, and I know a lot of people who also enjoy the fox in the forest. So, without getting lost in the in the woods here in the forest, uh, I want to try the duet version, Ryan. You made me. It's funny, actually. That is a mechanic in the game. You can go too far and you get lost in the woods. So, <laughs> you made a joke, you but it lost is actually the a thing you do in the game. It's a thematic joke. Yeah. Got away with it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't think there's much more to say beyond that. If you're looking for another two-player trick taker, that's a, a... It's Foxy. Yeah. All right, yeah. next up for you. So so actually, my list now extends into climbers, shadows, and things. There's not that many of them. <laughs> but on my list, I, I'm going to put in the same bracket here. Scouts, Hatchy Train, and Delt. Now, the reason I've done that is because there is an ongoing conversation slash debate slash argument whatever you want to call <laughs> it about ongoing. which one is superior okay now i can only speak to scout which is by k uh kai kajino and i can speak to hatchy train which i've also played which is by toshiki arao and i would say for me i prefer hamling it, Hamlin Cave. That's not a. That's you not don't a even like either of these. Get Hamlin Cave. Hamlin Train. Hamlin Train. Hatchie Train. The reason I prefer Hatchie Train is I like the fact that you're picking up cards off the table that you aren't sort of the cards don't get set aside. You you pick the cards up. You eventually set them aside, but it's got the kind of the pennies going round and round. If you're English, it's penny. Penny. Yeah, yeah it's a penny. <laughs> The penny's going round and round and round and round until it eventually drops. It's the and it's the spicy cards as well. In Hatchy Train, you get cards that have got two numbers on them, and you can't. It's one of these games that you don't rearrange your hand. You play multiple numbers in Hatchy Train to try and get rid of your cards. So, for instance, if I played two twos, they would beat your two ones, for example. Or if I played three twos, they would beat your one six that you put on the table so more cards or cards that are of a higher rank basically the reason i'm picking hatch train is for accessibility for the spicy cards and for the feeling of the penny going round and round a lot of people will say scout's better that's cool i enjoy scout too it's a very similar game you can't rearrange your hand but you're getting rid of cards are going out and people are scoring points if you if you have to kind of play into the middle and take a card from the middle to improve your strength of the hand that you're going to play then you give that person a point for example so i kind of think they're all much of a muchness if you've got one you, in my opinion you don't necessarily need the other i do have scout and i do have hatchy train where do you land where does the train stop with you ryan so yeah these games are also on my list as a sort of slash on them all and i actually prefer delt which is by katja stremel and for me i think the the main comparison which you've already said is that you can't sort your hand the way your cards are dealt is what you get and in these games there's always some mechanic or some way to find ways to sort your hand you're going to get new cards you put in your hand you put them where you like Scout does that by scouting a card from a previously played meld from somebody else. Hatchy Train is doing it where whatever you beat, you take into your hand. 
you're always taking the cards off of the previously played meld, all of them, whatever they are. In dealt, you have these like lifelines, essentially. There are two cards that are dealt to you, dealt uh, at the beginning, and when you can't play into the trick, because unlike Scout and Hachi Train, those just keep going round and round like a normal climber until somebody passes it clears. Delt is a one-time round like a trick taker, and then it clears. And in that one, if you can't play into the trick, you'll pass and you'll draw one of these lifeline cards from in front of you and put it anywhere you want in your hand. And I think that's why I prefer Delt over the other two, is because, as I've said many times, I prefer trick takers to climbers and shedders. And the fact that Delt is more closely to a trick taker is probably why it hits home for me more. But I absolutely love the other two and what they do. And if I was to order all of them, it'd probably be Delt, Hachi Train, and Scout. And there's also Recurring Ooh. and then Nana Tadadori. Pigeons. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, I think Nana Scout Tata goes towards, towards the bottom for me. Yeah, so Delt, otherwise known in German as Crass Carrier, you might find the game as Crass Carrier. There's obviously lots of different language versions. And Nanatori is a simplified version, as if it needed simplification, of Hatchi Train, which was already a very accessible game without the spicy cards. I've not played Nanatori. Tory. We could talk about these for, for this a This could long honestly time, be its Ryan. own episode. We might, even though we're talking it, it about it now, be. I feel like it could still we be a good, <laughs> good yeah. episode on its own. We might do it. I point people to my friend Tom made a review of Hatchet Training. He said, What if Reiner Knipsia designed Scout? And that is on BGG if anyone wants to check it out. I thought it was a really interesting breed. I think he hit some solid points in there, but of course everybody's going to have their favorite and i've got friends who prefer scout and so really your mileage is varying here mm-hmm. just try them all if you can and if not pick one and just play it but yeah knows. and so as far as the essential need for it because we're saying all of them since they're so similar to each other delt or grass carrier and scout are the ones that are more readily available those are ones you'd actually be yeah. able to buy so as far as essential hachi trains actually going to jump to the bottom of that because it's it out of stock, out of print. You can't get it. Delt, you can get, I know, in like in America for like $5 or $10. And Scout, a little bit more since it's an oink game, but usually like 25 or 30 Easy to get would be more of a recommend in that regard. 100%. Uh, so that was where technically yours, even though they were on my list. So I guess my next my, one is going to be Linko. Which is actually kind of like Scout Hachi Train in a sense. It is. Yeah, that's interesting you've included Yeah. That. Yeah. It's a good link out to the next game. Right? Yeah. Because of the fact that it does the thing of where you're going to pick up players' cards up, you're playing, trying to play the melds. If you play an equal number of cards that's higher than someone else at the table, you can snatch them as they call it. But the ultimate goal in this game is to shed your cards out. So this is definitely a shedding game. way it works is you can pick any number of cards in your hand as long as they're matching numbers so you can only play sets in this game and when you do that as soon as you players you'll look around the table to see if anybody else on their last play same play the same number of cards so if i played a single 13 patrick plays a single five when i play my 13 i can then snatch is what they call it i can take his five into my hand after I do that, Patrick then has to take another card to replace it from like there's six cards that are dealt face out and then there's just the rest of the deck. You can draw a random card or take one of the six face up and put it in your hand. But let's say Patrick played 
three fours and then I play three nines. It's the same thing. I can take all three of his cards into my hand or choose not to. But when it comes back to Patrick to take, he either can take those back or three new ones. So the goal... Yeah, you're nasty snatcher. Yeah, so what you're trying to do is always make sure that you play unbeatable melds. So when another player takes their turn, they don't play the same number of cards that are also higher than yours so that you don't have to take yours back. Because scoring is very simple. You get one point for every card on the table and minus one point for every card in hand. And the round ends when one player runs out of cards. So if you play all of your cards, you're only going to get positive points. The thing is, though, you could actually stu- still do really well in this game. If you have a lot of cards on the table and very little cards in hand, you could do just as well as the person who did go out. It just it creates this really cool dynamic of when you're going around the table and looking to see the number of cards players played and then what you, the number of cards you want to play. Because sometimes you want to play a, a lonely card by itself and entice other players to take it because you want something else to to beef up your hand. So that constant change of getting more and more cards to play bigger melds to play them all out is really satisfying. Yeah, and of course, Wolfgang Kramer, Michael Kiesling, very well-regarded designers. I had the new version, which is the, I think it's a Lynx, whereas it was a Fox and the older version of Bluxen. It's a lot of Bluxen. You're into your Foxes uh, today, Ryan. Really am. Say. But I will yeah. say the Korean edition of Linko... Is the one I have, which is also Fox. is very cute. The, the nice yeah, But a Bluxen yes. or Linko, the new version, is going to be more readily available. It is. I had the game, and it's one of those things, Ryan, where I was like, well, now I've got Scout. You know, when Scout was riding the wave of Euphoria, it probably still is. But that was when I was like, well, I've got Scout. I don't need it now. I'm not taking away from it. I think there's probably enough difference in there and enough subtleties to warrant coexistence and if you like the idea of it and if as Ryan's explained it there's some opportunities for clever play in it then I think it's a fair addition and of course you'll know if you like your climbing and shedding games if you've delved into the genre a little bit as well so that should give you some good groundwork to uh, a good linko no it's not working for me that will just move on but it's it's a good game it is a good game pun or no pun it's a great game Yes. The to be frank, my next inclusion is Frank's Zoo. You knew that was coming. Frank's Zoo is a climbing game. What makes it unique is well, there's a food chain in there for a start. Some of the animals eating certain animals, that is questionable. It's like, well, you know, would a uh, there's the whole mouse and the elephant the mouse scaring the elephant thing. But essentially it's a climbing game. None of the cars have numbers on. They've got animals on. And they've got car in the center of the card. It is what animal they... I can't believe I've forgotten this. It's either the animal like they beat. It's sort of or... a food chain, in a sense. What yeah, animal they can sort eat, of except, like chain. you said, the mouse scaring the elephant. But the cars themselves do a good job at like showing you which card will play off to where. Yeah, 100%. And it's, again, you're playing multiple cards. You, The next person comes along and plays the same number of cards but has to beat those cards. There's jokers in the pack. And the really neat thing is if you're playing at different player counts or odd player counts, you can get... The neat thing about this game is having a temporary partner. One of you is a senior partner. 
the other of you as a junior partner and having this little dynamic, oh, you're my junior partner. And the junior partner can request of the senior partner, oh, you know, excuse me, have you got any polar bears that you can please put down to help me win this trick? Because you're kind of working together, but you're not because at the end of the game, you're still, there's only one winner. There is odd player counts as somebody might be on their own for a round and there's two people working together and another two people working together. There's a cool quirk with lions in the game and who's got the most lions. A few of the little animals have their own place and it's just really nice and we've had some really enjoyable games without getting into the nitty-gritty of the animal kingdom. You're emptying your hand and we've had some really good games with Frank Zoo. I think it's underrated personally. I think it's underrated on VGG and it's certainly worth a try and it's super accessible for a climber as well. It's compared to the dizzy heights of Teach You with some of the rules overhead, for example, this one's super breezy. There was a newer like deluxe edition that came out from Japan that came with a scoreboard and had little mouse meeples that was cute, but very unnecessary to actually play the game. You can just get the regular one with just the deck of cards, but I would agree it's certainly more accessible than some of the other climbing games, which we, we sort of talked about this before the episode and should teach you beyond one of our lists at the very least and, and be considered an essential game. And ultimately, we both didn't put it there. 100%. And again, I think that might just be because we don't really play climbing games or like climbing games as much. I'm sure a lot of people would be like, why that's got to be on the list. Teach you is essential. And, yeah, and I mean, yeah, game. sure. It, it yeah. definitely is. That might be another honorable mention we can just throw out there. But it does have a lot to think about. There's a big meta around the game. I know there's, there's this whole big six convention thing on how you pass and tell your partner what you've got. And then all the, I mean, there's only like, you know, few abilities to keep track of. It can be a little bit more daunting of a game, whereas Frank Zoo is a little bit nicer and it's got cute animals to, to let you know it's not so. It's got cute animals. And I should have said the designer's names, Doris Mathaus and Frank Nestle. There you go. Mm-hmm. If you're listening, you're included <laughs> in the party. So no, that's a, a great choice. I have only played this game once myself, so I haven't explored it enough, but I would like to try it at some of those higher player, especially the odd player counts, to see what those temporary yes, partnerships. Yeah, to see the yeah. dynamic. Because things, you know, usually when we hit that player count, if I'm looking at five and it's looking for dynamic teams, Nyet ends up being what we play or lay plateau. Mm-hmm. And like you said, Frank Zoo's sort of underrated, and I think that might be why. I think so. There are unfortunately yeah. just other good games. Moo, for example, like mm-hmm. that's a fantastic one. So yeah, I, I think it might. Be five. good to to try and get Frank Zoo out there more and, and get more plays of it and see how it is. For sure. All right. I think we have just a couple left, if I'm counting correct. Looks like, yeah, two more. So my second to last one is going to be Bacon by Sean Ross. Like I said, Haggis is an honorable mention, also by Sean Ross. But I can put Bacon on yeah. there because that's coming from All Play and not Portland Game Collective. But go. Sean Ross loves himself some climbers why we prefer trick taking sean very much likes climbing games and it shows the amount of love that he puts into all of the different climbing shedding games that he makes uh takes a lot of traditional style games and puts his modern twist to them uh, or twists on top of his games that he keeps twisting and and it's cool to see other things he brings and bacon i think is a good addition to that it's bring home the bacon 
Bring home the bacon, baby. It's it's a great introduction climbing game. It has a lot of your typical climbing melds you might see with you know singles, pairs, runs, tubes, stairs, as they're all called, where you're making you know pairs of runs and whatnot. There's bombs, which beat all the other melds, and then you can only start playing bombs. But it has this really cool thing, which we've talked about on episodes past when we did mention bacon, is that it has that when you lead the next trick, normally it's just you have to lead it. But you can actually make your partner lead the trick. This is something you can do and teach you when you play the dog card, but it's like the only time to do it. So it's like every trick, there's the dog card being played by you, allowing your teammate to lead the trick, which can be really cool. Because again, the biggest part of this game is the first player to go out will be the team that scores. So you're racing to try and make sure that at least one of your teammates goes out first to be eligible for points. So it's it's a great climbing game for that simplicity sake of learning melds, but really crunchy choices and the fun pusher luck of trying to get out first, potentially breaking up your hand to play really good melds to go out. Yeah, I think bacon is a cracking choice. And bacon is also one of my favorites. I think it's better than teach you from an accessibility perspective. And I'd see it as certainly training wheels if you wanted to delve into the world of teach you a bit more. So I think bacon's a solid inclusion. I rate it a lot, but not, my group isn't that conducive to some of these team games. So I wouldn't have a chance to play it that much. But the fact that you can play it with a standard deck of cards as well is fantastic. So I think Sean's done a really good job here. I've played it at the four player and the six player count and had a great time with both. So solid inclusion, Ryan. My other one was Haggis, as well as an honourable mention. We always talk about that game. It gets a lot of love here, and it gets a lot of love in the community as well as a two-player climbing game. So also really solid by Sean. He just keeps knocking it out of the park, doesn't he? Absolutely. So it's, as far as that goes, uh, yeah, great inclusion. Haggis, yeah, Haggis was my, only, my last one, Ryan, on the list. And we've covered them all. Yeah, uh, I think actually I had one more, which was okay. not a trick-taking climbing. It's the one uh-huh. other card game okay. included, and that's Nana by Kaya Miyano. Okay. Great yeah. choice. Nana. It's a memory game, and we've forgotten about Nana. What's the chances? I can't believe it. But yeah, this is a fantastic memory deduction game. Works well with all ages, gamers and non-gamers. Very silly game. Works to start the night, works to end the night works as an in-between game whenever you pull this game out yeah it, it, it will always be a good time to play the game and sometimes it's funnier at the end of the night once you've played a lot and you're getting a little tired and your brain's starting to shut off a little trying to see how good your memory and deduction is yeah it's it's a good choice and tiny little box very cute art from Saibepu. great game to have on the list and make the animal noises yeah when you get a oh, set yeah. of animals make there the noises go. just for me yeah, Patrick from Correct Talk has <laughs> told me to do this. Yeah, so I th- think that's a great way to end our one-year anniversary episode. Getting Fantastic to have everybody listening. Yeah, we really appreciate it. And I did want to take a moment to shout out all of our patrons individually here because, again, all of your extra support has helped us getting these new microphones that you're hearing our beautiful voices on and everything else. So the continued support that we're getting from there is fantastic. So Shreesh, Jacob, Harish, Matthew, Eric, Dari, Justin, Dan, Blake, David, 
Philip, and Ryan. We really appreciate all of you and all the support you've given us. Thank you so much. Is this where I do my awkward thing and say you can visit our link tree? I think it is, but I believe in you. We're not going to be awkward, remember? We're going to go away from that. Okay, you do this. Awkward. This is professional. Right, so you can visit our link tree, which has links to our Twitter, Discord, BGG, Patreon, merch store, and more. The link is linktr.ee forward slash trick talkers. How was that? That was very professional. I love it. I did my best. Perfect. The super professional Patrick mode that was. Very professional. So, yeah, I hope that everybody's enjoyed the episode. We've had a lot of fun today and it's essential to listen to trick talkers as well as try those games and see if you like them. And I guess it's goodbye from us. It is a goodbye. Thanks so much for listening. Adios, amigos.